Uh, if you were here last week, we talked about the sins of Uzzah. This week, I want to talk about the sin of Michael. And remember, we talked about last week, there's some weird names that we're going to deal with in the Bible today. Uh, last week, we dealt with Abinadab. How many remember that name? Abinadab. And then he had two sons. One was named Uzzah. Some people say Uzzah, but I say Uzzah. And the other was named, remember, anybody remember the other name? Anybody? No? Peggy? <laughs> Check your notes. His name was Ahio. Remember that? Ahio, Ohio, whatever it is. Uh, then Uzzah and Abinadab and all these kind of strange names. And today we're going to deal with Michael. The name there is spelled M-I-C-H-A-L. It's actually a woman's name. So the name Michael is a woman's name. In fact, it's actually, even in modern-day Israel, it's one of the more famous girl names that, went, that people would name their kids, and they look at baby names, and a lot of them name their children Michael. So that's who we're going to talk about today. If we take a look at what we did last week, go to the next slide here. We talked about last week, we talked about the tabernacle, and we talked about the Ark of the Covenant. How many remember what we talked about as, the, as far as the Ark of the Covenant? It's not just from Indiana Jones. Remember that? How many know the Ark of the Covenant from Indiana Jones, for the most part? And it was built by a man named Bezazel from, a very specific, from very specific instructions given to Moses by God at Mount Sinai. How many remember there's three things that were in the Ark of the Covenant? The three things were Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, this Aaron's, Aaron's staff that budded. Somebody else said the jar of manna. The jar of manna. It's what sustained them in the wilderness. When placed in the Holy of Holies, when, when the Ark of the Covenant was placed in the tabernacle, and it was placed in a certain part of the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, God spoke direction to Israel through the high priests. When outside of the tabernacle, it was the most powerful, powerful presentation of the glory of God. It was the most powerful depiction of his presence. And blessings would come on wherever it was. Unless those people were sinning against God. And then it brought cursing upon them. How many remember the cursing that came upon the Philistines? How many remember we talked about it? Some people were like, oh. Carrie Jurdy said to me after the service, where in the Bible does it say that God gave them hemorrhoids? And I had to show her. <laughs> God gave the Philistines hemorrhoids. And they said, let's give it back right now. That's how it went. But the importance of it could not be understated. The importance of the ark could not be understated. It had been in the house of Abinadab for 20 years before it went to be brought back to Jerusalem. And so then we looked at the sin of Uzzah. Remember that they had placed the ark on a cart. They were moving the cart, and the oxen stumbled. And Uzzah went and grabbed his hand to the ark. And when he did, he died. And most people would look and say, well, that's just kind of uh, overreaction, wouldn't you think? Except it wasn't an overreaction because it wasn't just a small act of, of disobedience. It was a heart and a soul condition of going against the commands of God. Remember, we talked about the sins of Uzzah. It's a reminder to us that while God is still full of grace and mercy, he is still a holy God. Amen? He is a holy God. We can't cheapen the cost of the sacrifice by doing whatever we want and ignoring his commands. 
We can't cheapen the cost of the sacrifice. Grace doesn't give us freedom for everything we want to do in a fallen world. It gives us the grace enables us to follow him in righteousness. Grace enables us to live righteously in this fallen world. We left it last week with David stepping back from the situation. Uzzah had been killed. He said, whoa, this, is, this situation is a little too hot for me to handle. So he steps back, and he leaves the ark at the house of a man with another weird name called Obed-Edom. And the Bible says that Obed-Edom's house was blessed. David left it there for three months. And it brings us to our first scripture this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12 through 13 says this. Now it was told to King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. I love the picture of what happens here. I love the picture of what happens here. You see, three months earlier, three months earlier, David had experienced the fear of the Lord. He experienced the fear of God. Now, people will hear that term, the fear of God, and wonder what does that exactly mean, the fear of God. The fear of God, this is not a word in the negative, but a word in the positive. It's a reverent understanding of his holiness. It's a reverent understanding of the holiness of God. Many people today, we, we don't acknowledge this. We don't understand that we're supposed to have a fear of the Lord. We're supposed to have a reverent in awe of his holiness. We're to soberly acknowledge his presence in our lives. To have a fear of the Lord is to have a respect for the Lord, to understand his command, commandments and to follow them. We are to reverently and soberly acknowledge his holiness. We talk about this, this uh, quite a bit. When we use words, we use words like awesome. That's awesome. The Packers are awesome, right? Doritos are awesome. Doritos Locos Tacos from Taco Bell are awesome, right? Bryce, what's awesome? Your truck is awesome, right? Bobby, the bacon jam was awesome, right? So we talk about things that are awesome, and we, we use that word, but literally we are in awe of it. We are in awe of his holiness. We are in awe of his presence. I mean, our mouths have dropped. We cannot speak. We can't do anything but just weep in his presence because we are in awe of him. How many times have you really, truly been in awe of God? This is where David was. Three months earlier, he experienced the fear, the respect of the Lord. Why? It wasn't just the death of Uzzah, but that was a catalyst for it. David and the men of Israel, going back to last week, remember they had placed the ark on a cart. 
They were, they specifically, by the way, specifically went, uh, go back to the first picture. The commands of the Lord had given specific instructions on how to carry the ark. Part of how to carry the ark was that uh, four guys that were Levites, and even actually a certain family of the Levites that were the priests of Israel, would have to carry it by those poles. But somebody got a brilliant idea. Somebody got a bright idea. Say, hey, you know what? I got an idea. Let's take the, the, this Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, and instead of following the commandment of God, let's just place it on a cart. It should be easier. I wonder who had the bright idea. It was a mistake. It was a mistake. They placed, the cart, they placed it in the Ark. The oxen are pulling the cart. The oxen stumble. Uzzah goes to steady the Ark, and he dies. Whoever had the idea probably felt a little foolish. Probably, probably felt kind of, oops. I wonder who had the idea. I wonder why David didn't stop and say, wait a second, we have to follow the command of God. Why didn't David stop and say, whoa, wait a second. We have to follow the command of God. Because you have to think that when Uzzah died, all these people probably looked at the guy with the idea and was like, well, and the guy, probably all he could do was be like, my bad, sorry. I mean, really, you look and go, whose idea was it to say, let's, let's not do what God commanded. Let's just, put it on the, let's just put it on the cart. Regardless of all the events that led up to it, it's clear that they had ignored the command of God. And it was going to take some time for them to get things right. How much time? Well, apparently three months. Three months go by. So David went and brought the ark, go to the, go to the first scripture there, and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. With gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces. Stop. Six paces. Notice. They weren't rolling in a cart now. They were walking. Six paces. They were doing what God had commanded them to do. Finally, they were doing it the right way. They had gone six paces. They were walking. They were traveling with the ark the way the Lord had commanded them. There had been a change in their thinking. Six paces. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Say, Pastor David, why is this significant? Why are we focused on this? Because they had only gone six paces. They'd only gone six paces. I mean, you, you know how much six paces is? One, two, three, four, five, six paces. And then they stopped and did an offering to God. The picture here is that David left with the ark. He left Obed-Edom's house with the ark. They go six paces, and he's like, okay, God, I'm not being struck by lightning yet, so I must be good. Six paces. One, two, three, four, five, six. Stop, and now let's worship God. And this is what they do. He sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. I like what one commentary says. As soon as the procession had started on its way, without any sign of divine displeasure, 
David offered a sacrifice as a thank offering for the prosperous commencement. Without any sign of divine displeasure, you have to think that David kind of breathed a little sigh of relief. Like, whew, okay, we did it right. And then something significant happens. Go to the next scripture. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. David danced before the Lord with all his might. It doesn't say some of his might. With all his might. And then it says he was wearing a linen ephod. A linen ephod, we talked about this a little bit last week. A couple weeks ago, really. The linen ephod, it was his underwear. I mean, he, he got... In the, Bryce, do me a favor. Come on up. <laughs> come on up, Bryce. Come on. You pass? Oh, boy. <laughs> Doug, you good? <laughs> no? Okay. I mean, he started worshiping God. Pass. I love it. <laughs> he, he just, he got exuberant in his praise. And as he was praising the Lord with all his might, I mean, he was shouting, he was dancing, he was lifting up his hands, he was jumping around, he was, you know what? You get me excited up here. <laughs> this is, I, you get excited about God sometimes. Amen. We get excited. We dance before the Lord with all our might. And I mean, this guy got so excited that some of his clothes started to fall off. Pass. <laughs> and he's wearing this linen ephod. He's wearing this underwear. I, there, there was a... <laughs> there was, I grew up in a church where people, I mean, I, I mean exuberantly ecstatically worship the Lord. There was a certain guy, uh, for the sake of the recording, eh, I can say his first name. His name is Rod. Well, I'm telling you what, this guy had so much energy. Stacy, I'm telling you, he'd be up in the church choir, and he'd be, hey, come on. Woo! You know, he'd be going crazy, and all of a sudden, Rod, we call him Running Rod. Now, I'm not... <laughs> Call him running rod. You know why? Because, man, the Holy Spirit would just get all over him, get crazy, go crazy. I mean, get ecstatic. And all of a sudden, he would take off running in the building, running around the chairs and around the people. And you knew, I mean, this was not spectacle. This was, he, he just had to release his energy in some way. Running rod is what we called him. And rod got to running, and then all of a sudden, someone jumped up behind him. Said, oh, let me ride his wind trail or whatever it is there. You know? People, I mean, dancing before the Lord with all of his might. When was the last time you danced before the Lord with all your might? I mean, to where you got tired. I mean, to where you were just worn out. Just, I love his presence. David is doing this, and he's wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting, with the sound of the trumpet, the very presence of God. It was party time. I mean, it was party time. The very presence of God was coming back to the city of David. It was coming back where it belonged. His worship and his praise could not be contained anymore. One description of him says this was not a set dance. 
or along with others, but he leaped and skipped like a lamb would. It was a crazy praise that started six paces from Obed-Edom's house and lasted all the way into Jerusalem. A crazy praise that started six paces from Obed-Edom's house and lasted all the way to Jerusalem. You say, well, Pastor David, how long is that? I mean, what is that? Is that a few minutes? His, biblical historians will estimate that it was 39 miles. 39 miles of just praising the Lord. We can't go 35 feet sometimes. 39 feet. That's all right. Just praising 39 miles. Think about just praising the Lord in your car for 39 miles. <laughs> this, these guys were walking. 39 miles, he's praising the Lord. He's shouting the sound of the trumpet with all of his might. He's giving it to the Lord. As soon as they come into the city, we are taken into the meat of the message this morning. You say, that wasn't the meat. We haven't even gotten to the meat yet. The meat of the message. Go to the next scripture. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. Leaping and whirling before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. She despised him in her heart. Let's talk about Michael. Who is this woman? From the scripture alone, we only know her as Saul's daughter. If we only look at this scripture, we only know her as Saul's daughter. But there's a lot more to her. So let's talk about Michael for a little bit. I'm not going to take you there in the scriptures on the PowerPoint, but you're more than welcome to go in your own Bibles. We first meet Michael in 1 Samuel chapter 18. She's fallen in love with David. In fact, she's fallen in love, and when they told King Saul about it, the Bible says that he was pleased. One, one scripture says that he rubbed his hands with anticipation. Now you say, well, was this a good thing or a bad thing? It wasn't a good thing. He rubbed his hands in anticipation, not because he was happy for them, but because of his jealousy towards David. He saw favor shifting towards David and away from him. He realized that Michael might serve as a snare. Some versions would say a trap or a stumbling block, neatly set so the Philistines could kill him. He wanted to set the trap. He heard that Michael was in love with David, and he said, all right, it's time. He gave her to be married to David. He gave her to be married to David. And when Saul sent men to David's house to put an end to him, here's what Michael did. Michael warned her husband. Michael warned her husband. She basically said this, if you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. She warned him. Then she let him down through a window. So far in looking at Michael, we have a, a depiction of a good and godly wife. Amen? Loves her husband, saves her husband from the grasp of her father, the king. But after being saved by Michael, David leaves, and he's gone for 14 years. 14 years. 
It's interesting that in Scripture we read that Michael loved David. But we never read about David loving Michael. We don't read much about David loving Michael. Here's what we read about. We read about him wanting to become the king's son-in-law. We read about uh, that he, what he had to give the king in order to marry her. Now, without going into, let's see, there's all adults in here. <laughs> there's some descriptions in the Bible that are uh, uh, quite PG-13 R-rated. And so in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18, I'll let you read that for yourself. He had to give King Saul an offering in order to be married to his daughter. And if you want to look it up, it's kind of gross. So, I know everyone's going to turn there right now and look. Whew. Anyway, praise the Lord. He does this. He wants to be the king's son-in-law. We read about what he had to give the king in order to marry her. But we don't ever read about his love for her. We don't ever read about his love for Michael. In fact, only when it became politically necessary did David call for her. In 2 Samuel chapter 3, he says, give me my wife, Michael. He called for her because it was politically expedient. By this time, 14 years later, Saul had already given her to another husband. Saul had already given her to another husband, a guy named Paltiel. Given her to another husband. But when David called for her, she left that dude. I like the description that uh, the author Liz Higgs says. She captures this moment well. She says this. Her father had given his daughter Michael, David's wife, to a man named Paltiel. Did his grown daughter take a second husband willingly? Did she take him submissively? We only know that she married the man. Now that David wanted Michael back, her husband, her, here's what happened. Her husband went with her and was weeping behind her. David called for Michael to come to him, and the husband is behind her crying, weeping behind her. His, it was obvious that he loved her, but not so obvious that she loved him. We don't, we don't hear about her tears. All we know is of her love for David. How many have ever been in a relationship before where you love this guy? But for some reason, he just doesn't like you. How many know, how many know what I'm talking about? Nobody raise your hand. <laughs> I raised my hand and I said no. Or you're a guy and you like this girl. Woo! She doesn't like you. And so she leaves. Well, all of a sudden, you, you, you do everything to get them out of your head. Get them out of your mind. A few weeks go by, you don't hear from them, and you're starting to heal. That's great. And all of a sudden, you get a phone call. Hey, want to go on a date? Yep, sure do. <laughs> Michael runs to David. Her second husband is behind her crying, please come back to me. Liz Higgs captures this, and she says, oh, the melodrama. Oh, the melodrama of the Bible. We have no record of her shedding tears. Whatever her husband or whatever her feelings were for her second husband, she left him behind and returned to her first husband. And Michael returns to King David, a different woman. 
It's been 14 years. Things have changed. We are reintroduced to her with the words of 2 Samuel 6 and 16. We're reintroduced to her with these words. And she despised him in her heart. One commentator said it this way, and I love this. David's eyes and heart were focused upward, worshiping his God. While Michael's eyes and heart were focused downward, despising her man. Despising her man. And then we are taken again to the celebration of the ark. Go to the next scripture. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel. All of Israel was a part of this. This rejoicing, this ark had returned. He distributed both to men and women, to everyone, a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, a cake of raisins. This was a feast. This was a celebration. And after the celebration, so all the people departed, everyone to his own house. The party was over. The ark had returned. The people had been blessed. But now it was time for David to return home. But he was not returning home to a happy wife. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands. Doug. <laughs> you, ever, you ever return home to a wife who's not happy? Or return home to a husband that's not too happy with you? I love my wife. She's not here right now, so I can talk about her. Be careful, Gary says. It's re it is recording. I can edit this part out. That's cool. <laughs> uh, I love my let's just let's, let's, let's leave it at that. Sometimes you come home and someone's unhappy. You all thought I was going to share some dirt. Yeah? No. He was not returning home to a happy wife. Verse 20 says this. Then David returned to bless his household. And Michael, the son of the, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said these words. How glorious the king was today, the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. You say, well, Pastor David, that's kind of Shakespearean flowery language. I want to read it in this, in this way, in this version. It says, how wonderfully the king has distinguished himself today, exposing himself like some burlesque street dancer. How wonderful. the king. I mean, he comes home and she just rips into him. Oh, how wonderful the king was today. In one version, it says that he was dancing around like a dirty old man. I mean, this wasn't, she wasn't just unhappy. She was disrespectful. She wasn't just unhappy. She was disrespectful. Now, let me just say this, as a married man, as a married man, there is nothing more a husband wants than knowing his wife respects him. There's nothing more a husband wants than knowing his wife honors him and respects him. 
If he doesn't feel loved and respected and honored, he will feel lower than the dirt. David got home, and she came out swinging. David got home, and she came out swinging. And it was almost as if you could hear the boxing bell in the background. You know, the ding, ding, ding. She was ready for a fight. And David responded. But, keep in mind, he didn't respond out of personal anger. He responded out of righteousness. And it says this. Next, next slide, please. And David replied to Michael, In God's presence, I'll dance all I want. He chose me over your father and the rest of our family and made me prince over God's people, over Israel. Oh, yes, I'll dance to God's glory even more recklessly than this. As far as I'm concerned, I'll gladly look like a fool. But among these maids you're so worried about, I'll be held in honor. David takes her insult not as an attack against him, but as an attack against God. And he responds with this. You think this is crazy? You think me dancing in my underwear? You think me jumping and hollering? And You think that's crazy? You haven't seen crazy yet, girl. That's what he's saying to her. You haven't even seen crazy yet. I mean, I'm going to get to a place where I worship God with reckless abandon, not caring what anybody thinks around me. David says, I'll dance to God's glory even more recklessly than this. You think this is crazy? I haven't even gotten started yet. I'm not worried about what you think. I'm, is, I love, I love what David says here. Why? Because I got a little bit of honoriness in me. How many, so some people say, well, you're honoring. You ever hear that? You say, you're honoring. You got, you got a little bit of, you want to, you know, kind of dig a little bit. And so David says this to her. I love this. I like to think that even when David was responding with righteousness, he kind of put a little dig in there himself. He says this. I'm not worried about what you think. God chose me over everybody you know, including your father. Wow. That, this was his mic drop. This was his mic drop. Was, you know what? God chose me over everyone you know, including your father. He dropped the mic. The argument was over. It didn't matter what she thought of him. He would continue to praise his God because his God was so worthy of his praise. The last verse in this chapter is where we see the repercussions David had spoken his peace, but God was not done. Michael had not just disrespected her husband, but disrespected God's servant. And the repercussions were this. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, still had no children to the day of her death. She's still not identified as the wife of David. She's only ever identified as the daughter of Saul. Where did her allegiance lie? She's left barren not to have children again. In those days, it was a huge part of your worth but because she showed God and his servant no honor, she would not be honored the rest of her days. If we do not show God honor, 
If we do not honor him with our words, with our actions, with our lips, he will not honor us. There are so many lessons in this short passage. There are so many lessons here about following God's commandments for our lives. We can't just do whatever we want and expect a holy God to have no repercussions. The lesson here about not speaking against God by speaking against his servant. Not speaking against God by speaking about the mouthpiece that God has given you. There's a lesson here about honoring your spouse. Many times how we speak to our spouse shows our true heart's intent. And lastly, and most importantly, honoring God with everything we have. Everything we have. I mean giving him crazy praise. Giving him worship and glory and honor and majesty because he is so worthy of it. Amen? Let's stand this morning. Lord, you are worthy of our honor and our glory and our praise. Lord, we we just worship you this morning. Lord, we worship you this morning. I pray over those who are here this morning, Lord, that as we go to our homes and go to our jobs in this week and go to our schools, Lord, that you would just minister to our hearts. Lord, that you would speak deeply to us. Remind us of the sin of Michael, who despised her husband, who was doing nothing more than worshiping the Lord with all his might. Lord, help us to respond to you, not like Michael did, but as David did, with praise in our hearts and worship on our lips. Lord, I pray over each person here, Lord, that you would bless them. Lord, that you would keep them. Lord, that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, that you would give them rest. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Shake a hand, hug a neck on the way out. We'll see you later.